Hello everyone, welcome back to part two of the March episode of the Town Supporters Trust podcast. If you haven't yet listened to part one, you've missed out on us recapping the matches since Coventry away. And we uh, spoke in depth about Marvellous Nakamba and Gabriel Osho and the brilliant form that they've shown. In part two, we will conclude a look at the starting eleven from that game at Main Road 40 years ago, that famous game. We will look at the, we'll have a quick touch on the football white paper. We'll do a proper podcast on that uh, later in the in the season. Uh, we will also discuss the new contract for Jordan Clark. Uh, referees, we've got to cover them after the month that we've just had. I'll ask the boys whether automatic promotion is still a chance or whether we'll have to settle for the playoffs. We'll preview the next three games of this upcoming week, three big games, and then we'll look at the club accounts that were released on Tuesday and uh, how that affects power court and everything. But first of all then, Tony, let's go back 40 years to that day in May in uh, 1983. Uh, Obviously, we've covered it all season in our Blast from the Past segment. And there's one player who started that game who we've not covered yet, and that's Paul Walsh. And I left him separately because he didn't play for Luton for an awful long time, but he left a big impression in the time that he was here. Yeah, he he had two seasons with us and... um... He achieved a lot in those two seasons. He was uh, an, an outstanding player for us. I remember uh, we signed him in the close season after uh, winning promotion in the 81-82 season. And it was a, a bit of a surprise because him coming in, but it, it involved Steve White going the other way, who uh, scored 19 goals for us in the promotion season. Uh, so it was somewhat of a surprise, and 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 this young lad, he was, you know, you know, if you looked at him, you thought, oh, well, I'm in an evening game. He's got to get off to school in the morning, you know. Um, but it, it took him a couple of games to to settle in, and 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 the first game where he really made an impact was the third game of the season when we were at home to Knox County, and we beat Knox County. 5-3 and it could easily have finished 5-5 and there were absolutely a couple of amazing goals in that game Sidozi opened the score for Notts County with a fantastic sort of half volley from the right hand side into the back of the net it was an absolutely wonderful goal and then it quickly became the, the Paul Walsh show with him getting a hat trick <coughs> um, excuse me sorry and one of his goals I think the first one I might the memory might be playing tricks on me here, but involving the ball passing out to him on the right hand side, fairly close to the corner flag, and he cut inside, beat two players, and then just knocked it in um, over the keeper for an absolutely amazing goal. And he was, you know, the, and and the next time he really um, made an impression was the the game at Anfield. Uh, when we went to Liverpool and we all went up there and we all, because Liverpool were a hell of a team at the time, you know, with the likes of Souness and Rush and Dalgleish and, and um, we went up there expecting to be basically turned over a big time. And it didn't work out like that. It often, the way it goes, it was the game where we had three different goalkeepers Jake Findlay, Kirk Stevens, and Mal Donaghy. And uh, we took the lead. We couldn't believe it when um, the ball came out and Walsh 
turned Mark Lawrence inside out. And Lawrence was no uh, slouch as a defender. He was um, a top-class defender, but Walsh just turned him inside out, went past him, laid it across the penalty area for, for Brian Steen to hit first time past Grobler. And it's things like that that, that stick out. And, and other games where, where Walsh, you know, basically won us games on his own. You know, he got a hat trick against Swansea. He got a hat trick at West Ham where we, we beat them 3 2 down at uh, Upton Park. And he just added a, a whole different dimension to him because you looked at him and you think, you know, he's this little guy. He, he, he's not going to do much in the air, but he wasn't a bad player in the air either. But because he was a short, stocky guy, he, he had this. A uh, really low centre of gravity, and he was very skillful, and he had pace as well. He could turn into, he could go either way, he could turn on sixpence, and he created a lot of stuff for us. And and, and I think that because he caught the eye uh, of Liverpool, and I think when uh, Liverpool came in for him and, and, and bought him, um, they paid they paid us seven hundred and fifty thousand for him, which at that time was a hell of a fee. Because uh, I'm trying, I can't remember how much we paid for. I think it was something like two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand. And um, I, I think Liverpool bought him as the, you know, long term replacement for for Dalglish. But it didn't quite work out that way for him up at Liverpool because I know he got a few injuries. But it, it, it was amazing to see the strike force of Walsh and Steen. Um, because if, if a defence kept one of them quiet, the other would, would pop up and cause problems. So, you know, these two two guys, two amazing strikers, which gave us such a dynamic and, and uh, to play. You know, normally it's a, a big guy and a little guy, which, which we did have later on with Mick Harford and, and Brian Steen. But it was just gave us something else and, and defences could not cope with them. And... Uh, you know, it was a sad day when Paul Walsh left us, but you couldn't blame the guy going up to Liverpool. But, you know, he he, he was always that type of player that could pop up and score, you know, either with his head or both feet or, or whatever. He, very difficult to shake off the ball because of that low centre of gravity. And, you know, he always gave defenders a lot of problems. And, um, you know, he, he yes, he, he, he had two seasons with us. Um, but in 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 those two seasons, he he did make a hell of an impact for us, and I, I you know, I, I honestly think that you know David Pleat made some cracking signings for us when he was our manager first time round, and, and Paul Walsh was definitely one of them. And uh, well received back at the club since then as well, hasn't he? He's often done yeah. quite a few sort of showing um, sponsors around and guests and things like that on match days and various other bits and things and. Just like John Still on um, on Saturday, just gone. He's very much someone who, whenever we see him at Kenworth Road, always gets a, a warm reception. It was, it was great so. to see John Still there, wasn't it? It really and and the when he was on the pitch, the love that was shown to him. I mean, the the, the guy is is fantastic. Not just what he did for us, but he's a hell of a bloke anyway. You know, yep. lovely, lovely man, and uh, you know, he he definitely become a Luton Town legend. Absolutely, absolutely did. And uh, yeah, Paul Walsh did as well. Um, 
I did a bit of a programme a few seasons ago where I got everyone's favourite Luton Town eleven and everyone of that sort of um, era, that kind of um, fan of that time, all had Paul Walsh in there. Um, he, he, uh, he had the nickname for some reason, they called him Sid. And I don't know why. They, they used to go, oh, he was known as Super Sid, the whiz kid. Just a little laugh from the past there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Very much a great part of that 1983 side and uh, and the season that followed it as well. Uh, as ever, with everything that we've covered on this blast from the past section, if you want to uh, look a little bit more in depth into it and everything, Hatters Heritage is the website for you. They are actually looking for new members and donations. It costs a lot to uh, get all of the memorabilia and everything that they put onto that site. Uh, so if you can donate or if you'd like to become a member and contribute in your own way, uh, head to their website www.hattersheritage.co.uk anything you can give them will be put to fantastic use they are effectively a voluntary run charity so all donations gratefully received and it is a really good resource for Luton fans particularly if you're a young Luton fan and want to really go in depth into uh, our history and the glory days of the 1980s like we've done uh, on the podcast this season let's bring it back to the present day then gents and uh, James I'll start with you with this one Finally, the government released their white paper at the end of last month. It had been promised for an awful long time, um, but it has been delivered. Uh, the key thing on it is the enforcement of an independent regulator. There are other things uh, which will go into deeper sort of things when we do a full podcast on this later in the season. But what's your sort of outtakes of the white paper and uh, what, what would you like about it? What maybe didn't you like about it? It's all sensible stuff, really. Uh, I don't think there's anything not to to like about it, uh, unless you're one of the greedy six, probably. But um, um, yeah, it's it's taken a while. I, I I genuinely some something in the back of my mind because of all the terrible things this government have done. I just thought they'd mothball it, or dare I say it, kick it into the long grass. So it's nice that it's actually come out, but now. I guess the hard work starts because you've got to actually get it through and get it agreed. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I think the the things that stand out for me are probably the things that stand out for most people, which is like the independent financial regulator. Um, of, of course, on the face of it, um, you'd want, you'd hope that that is truly independent and not like one of these uh, shills that the government put up to write reports about their own bad behavior and that sort of stuff. So we've got to, we've got to wait to see if all that stuff comes in, but that stuff's uh, so needed. But obviously, by the you, you, everybody seeing the amount of um, accounts that are now getting filed by championship clubs, Luton included, uh, came out today, didn't it? But ten so far have have filed, and you're looking at um, a loss of 171 million pounds across the division. Um, you know, Luton have posted a little loss, but it's considered compared to everyone else who are sort of paying 125% to 145% of, um, you know, where turn, wages to turnover. And uh, Luton are doing, uh, you know, relatively okay, uh, obviously. Um, it, things might look a bit rosier the next accounts, you would think. Um, but um, so that, that, that has to, to come in. Um, I think 
the obvious one which doesn't really affect Luton because uh, the trust have the have the image rights and uh, have done for since 2014 uh, but to have that across the football community I think it's going to be key because there's been so many instances of in recent years where that's that's just been completely messed with when you look at the way that Cardiff City fans were treated whole city fans were, were treated um, and that's just not acceptable because these clubs are community and heritage assets and they these things like the colours and the crest and names and stuff they mean they mean things to people so I think that's uh, an important step if they can get that in and like I say not for the first time Newton Town Football Club would have led the way and many things like that so um, there's a lot obviously to work through um, but uh, I, I, I'm positive about it I mean the one thing I think I don't know if it was expressly said, but I hope that this comes into it. Is the parachute payments? It's just it's just a nonsense that you, you shouldn't be financially rewarded for failure. You just shouldn't be. Um, you know, Luton are in the playoffs now, and all of that top six they've all been they've all benefit at one time or another from um, parachute payments, and it makes it so much harder for anyone else to come along and just play good football and succeed on the pitch and do it the right way, which I think is, uh, you know, is one of the points of um, Tony's statement in, in, in your release about it's so important to have that meritocracy of being able to play, put together a good side in a right way and sustainable way and play good football and go up the table and get promoted and do all the things that football and sport is supposed to achieve for you rather than it being who's got the biggest bank balance. And I think if that can be addressed, that would be a huge bonus for, for football in this country. Yeah, I think um, EFL chair Rick Parry's already sort of getting the noise out there about that, isn't he? So he's, you know, they're, they're, they're obviously looking at that and they kind of share your view that uh, it's just not right, is it? 45 million quid for stinking the place out. I mean, as Rob Edwards alluded to last night, three big sides are going to come out of the Premier League next season and we've got to compete with them and try and get promotion from two spots. It's, you know, it's just unfair, basically. Tony, when we put a presentation together for the original fan-led review led by Tracy Crouch, Many of the things that we asked for are in this white paper. So uh, we fully endorsed this, as we said in our statement that came out on the day that the uh, white paper was released. But we only endorse this if it's action, don't we? Now, yeah, you, the paper being out there is great, but we don't want two more years, three more years or however long before it actually comes to fruition. This need, There's an urgency that's required about this. Yes, De- definitely, because the longer it goes on, the wider the financial gap is going to be and the more danger there is of clubs going into liquidation. I mean, this has been a long time coming and, uh, you know, it, it had to be done because, you know, for too long it's been expected of oh, football will get its own act together and get its own house in order. It just hasn't worked. Um, I think it's great. I, I, You've, you've alluded to, Kev, we had a big input into this. 
not not just us, but uh, you know, other clubs, other trusts. I think we're, we were the only. Uh, there were only two championship clubs that actually got involved with it, and I think it, it's good. But you, you'll find that the the the, um, the big six of the Premiership, and, and you know, people talk about the the, the the Premier League. Let's not kid ourselves. It's the big six that run everything. You know, they they run the whole shebang, and for too long, football has been run by these elite clubs for the benefit of themselves, not for the benefit of the game as a whole, but at the end of the day, for the benefit of their bank accounts. That's what it comes down to, you know. Um, for me, it doesn't go far enough. Um, I would, um, well, I one of the things I would like to see is, is a ban on foreign ownership. You know, and, and this ties in with the fit and proper person to test as well. They've always played at that, and, and it, it's they've never really had a fit and proper person to test. And if they did, you certainly wouldn't have the likes of the Saudis taking over Newcastle United or the Manchester City owner, you know, where they've got to take into account things like human rights and things like that. Um it will help to put the kibosh on things like the European Super League because um, these clubs, as I said, the elite, their first and foremost concern should be the domestic competition, you know, not European leagues or, or whatever. And and the FA are badly in need of reorganising and, and shaking up. And as we jokingly said at the start, one of the thing, the two things that could have been in in the, the fan-led review is a, is a ban on gold music and a ban on drums at, at games, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that, they're really important things that should be in it. But I, I think it, it, it's up to us and the other clubs involved to, to keep putting pressure on the government um, to act and not to shelve it because, you know, they can go through it, they can get it through. Football fans need to contact their MPs, put pressure on them and, and say, this has got to happen. This, this has got to go through. Otherwise, the gap is just going to get wider and wider. And, you know, there's plenty of money in the game. The, the, the game is awash with money, but it's at the wrong end of the game. It's at the very, very top. And um, that money needs to be shared out more fairly. You know, because all the time, it, it's a closed shop. You know, people say to me, you look at the Scottish football, and it's always dominated by the same two clubs, Celtic and Rangers, Celtic and Rangers. But we've got the same situation here in the Premier League, except it's four clubs. You know, football to me has, has changed so much. When I, when I look at it, and I get really annoyed with the BBC, but they'll only cover the Premier League. You know, I thought at the very least, on match of the day, they can talk about who's coming up from the Championship or give it a bit of cover. You know, there's a lot more people out there uh, who pay their licence fees who support clubs that are not in the Premier League. And it's things like that that get my go. And, you know, no, no credit is given to other areas of the game. It, 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 you know, I think there's a lot more can be done. Um, you know, you, this business, parachute paints, I definitely agree with that. They've got to be done away with, you know. Um, if if clubs sign players 
you know, rather than have parachute payments that helps you out the contract, have it written into the player's contract. If we get relegated, you have to take a reduction in pay. You sign the contract, goes through. You know, where else do people get rewarded for failure? The government. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only other. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Bro. That's very, very true. But, and and <clears throat> gas and power companies. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, come on. God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You moved in oh, quicker yeah. there than Shelby, the loose pass from, uh, yeah, from an yeah. opposition midfielder. But, no, but I mean, it all speak, speaks to the same point, though, whether it's the yeah. government or footballers. But how much money, you know, as soon as they negotiate uh, TV payments, all the money goes straight out to the players go, right, oh, a massive paying group, and the agent's taking money out of the game. Mm. You know? I've said before, all of this started, you know, when clubs were allowed to float on the stock exchange. Solar at Spurs started that. Um, and it's got progressively worse. And it's all down to this. You know, you look at the, the, the as I said, the big six. It's all like, I'm all right, Jack. You know, and, and, and what's wrong with football? You see it. You see it on, on, on sports. They get excited. Not about who's going to win the Premier League. It's about who's going to finish fourth. Yeah, who's going to get mm. in Europe? And and it's a mockery. And and I think this is a step in the right direction. But as I said, it doesn't go far enough. No, it, like like you say though, it is it is a start. Uh, obviously, once it's implemented, then it then it's actually a start. I mean, Dan, obviously mm. you're a Luton fan. Yeah, we've been through it. We've had all these issues. Thankfully, twenty yep. years ago. Thankfully, the trust come along twenty years ago. Thankfully, the club's still in position. Thanks to twenty twenty. You live on the doorstep of a club who uh, who moved from one set of basket cases to another. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you're you're pretty much you know you you're influenced by a lot of clubs, and um, mm. this has to be implemented, doesn't it? You know, this there needs to be football can't control itself, so it now yeah. needs someone to come in and control it. Yeah, quite agree there. Um, football has got out of hand for so so long now, and you can liken it to when Sky think they invented football in '92. That's probably when the when the beast was born, and it really, you know, started separating the top six clubs, if you like, from the rest of them, from the other eighty-six. It's been a long day, thank you. <laughs> um, and the, what happens is the rich, the richer get, the rich get richer, and the poorer get poorer and and that's that scene you know we've in that time we've had countless administrations been in receivership and you know there's there's been a few few times where we've come to the start of the season and not knowing whether we've got a football club to play we haven't got a team to put out or we're scraping the barrel for the youth team to, just to get an 11 out um we've been very lucky in that respect there's a lot of clubs that haven't but some clubs have had to reform form phoenix clubs come out and get thrown out because of mismanagement off the field and having owners that couldn't care less about football. They're just after the, the property and the equity that they can get out of the club to make to fill their own pockets. And the amount of... I'm, I'm actually really angry that so, so long this has been allowed to happen. Um, and it, it, it it's just got worse. Like you mentioned about Holland Cardiff fans having their 
facing having their identity stripped. I mentioned Leeds with that pathetic badge design that lasted all of an afternoon <laughs> because it got absolutely trounced and rightly so by pretty much every single football fan that saw it. Um, uh, and these, uh, you know, you just wonder where do they get these clowns from? And the, the, the problem is that they've been allowed to take over a football club. And we all know that when you take over, when you go and take over a football club, there's so many processes you have to go through, so many tests you have to pass. But these clowns keep getting in. And it, it's no good for football. That and uh, also, you know, you, you talk about being rewarded for finishing fourth and stuff. So the top six are still getting separated more and more and more and more. And, and oh, isn't it such a travesty that Liverpool and Chelsea have spent much of the season in mid-table and all football's broken and stuff like that. Um, football should be more of a level playing field. I mean, how many times have we played at the side in a division or two above us and give them a good match when we're, we're on like our weight, weekly wage budget probably covers one, maybe two of the players of our opposition. Um, and we're, in we're, reverse of that last yeah, month but Grimsby, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, exactly. That's another prime example. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're becoming, they're, um, they're doing quite well. But to see these clubs, I mean, I, I speak to supporters of, clubs from all over and obviously Coventry fans quite a lot um, and you see these clubs that never get out of League 2 and they, they've got no hope and they, they end up filtering into the National League then they filter down again to the North-South division some, some filter out of that some filter out of existence altogether whilst you know Manchester United are spending £80 million on Harry Maguire who can't kick a football <laughs> whilst whilst Manchester City are play paying eighty million for Riyad Mahrez, who, whenever I've seen him live, has been absolute shite. Uh, you know, and, and these players that demand, like Wayne Rooney demanded three hundred grand a week just to put the ball in the back of the net on a weekly basis, and it, it it's down to it, it's gone so out of control that f- footballers shouldn't be defined by being on three hundred grand a week as opposed to being on three grand a week. You know, it's about the game itself rather than a business. I know know it's been a business for so long. And, you know, these people come into the game to make money. But for crying out loud, it's going to come to a crash. The football is going to absolutely collapse in on itself like like a flannel in a cupboard if it doesn't watch what it's doing. Because how how can you justify spending £80 million on one player just to kick a football when Luton have forever bought free transfers and, you know, wheeled and dealed for 50 grand signings like Steve Howard. They could do just as good a job at the level as anybody else that cost a million quid. It, absolutely ludicrous. And it, I'm angry that it's took so long. It's going to be a long, long process because if it's government regulated, <laughs> we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might not be because, you know, Rishi Sunak's team's about to get relegated to the Championship thanks to Nathan Jones and everyone else who's been in and around it. So that might speed up the... Um, the situation. Uh, Gents, I'm going to close yeah. uh, this part of the conversation because we will do a full podcast on this white paper uh, in full where we'll discuss in a little bit more depth. But Tony, I'll just finish with you for one last thing. There's an awful lot of money in football. The, the amount of money in football isn't the problem. It's where it is, isn't it? And it needs to be spread exactly, in a much yeah. fairer yeah. way from the top right down to the bottom, which includes grassroots, it includes women's football. And it includes everything to do with football in this country, not just where it is right now. Yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, there's certain things in it that 
that do make me laugh, you know, because you see the other side of it with what we've been through over the, the past 20 years. Um, you know, there's a lot of bullshit. The, 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 this thing about the football family, yeah, you wait until your club's in trouble, you find out how much of a football family it is then. You know, and, and I was just wanted to go back to the, the, the fit and proper person. You know, when, when you think about it, the way it operates is, We've had this. You've got somebody who comes in and fronts a consortium, and this consortium could be whoever you like. Say, there's a million pounds in it for you. We'll put money in your bank account. They go, they get interviewed by the FA or the Premier League, and they say, How much have you got? There it is. I've got 100 million in my bank. And that's it. That's all that happens. You know, but it's right. It, 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 it can't be right. You know, with the level of money you're talking about, what you've said, Kev. The fact is, you, and Dan's touched on it, the amount of money that some of these players get paid. Now, I don't blame the players for it because right. anybody that, you know, you, you'd go for it as much as you want. But it's the clubs that are willing to pay this, you know, and they pay out and then they fleece their supporters, you know, with the price of tickets, the price of food and everything at these, at these games, you know. And then when you see that a player, you know, who, who is earning... I know, 250 grand a week and look at it and there's a te- there's a club in the conference or, or in League 2 that could go out of business because they basically lack five grand a week. It's, it's, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. Yeah, and the, the, the numbers, are, when you look at the numbers, the bare numbers, they're startling and there needs to be a balance now and if this white paper is the start of that, which yeah. I think everyone agrees it will be if implemented quickly and in the right way then uh, hopefully we can get you get back to football being all about what's on the pitch rather than the numbers off of it one person who's on the pitch in every game of football James is Mm. a referee and um, championship ones just aren't up to the mustard are they I mean you know players get punished when they do things wrong quite rightly so Teams get punished when they do things wrong. Again, quite rightly so. But I don't see no punishment for referees. And I'll bring a case in point. We've not spoken about the Carlton Morris incident at Birmingham yet. We've purposefully left it for this part of the podcast. Now, Darren Bond was the referee. Uh, sorry, sorry, David Webb was the referee in um, question. And Mr. Webb gave a yellow card for that. Right. Okay. First and foremost, there is no yellow card to that. You either don't see it, which many people are trying to claim he couldn't, who were defending the referee said that there was a player in the way. Okay, that's fine. It's not right. But in which case, nothing can be given or it's a red card. There's no in between. It's an absolute horrendous tackle. The fact that the bloke fell on his shoulder and near as damn it damaged it will tell you the force that was in uh, in the tackle. But he refereed the following Saturday. Now, I'm sorry, but that bloke is a danger to footballers if he's not sending thugs like that from the pitch, particularly if he's seeing it and thinks that that guy's only worthy of a yellow card. Where are the punishments for these referees? He should not be refereeing the following Saturday until he has proven himself that um, he can make decisions that are all about the safety of the footballer. We hear it all the time now, don't we? Players get sent off for endangering the safety of the footballer. But I'm sorry, he endangered Carlton Morris's safety that day and indeed any other player who was on that pitch because he let the bloke stay on. He could have done it again for all anyone knows. Uh, and a serious, serious injury is going to come about from this. 
Yeah, it's a disgraceful challenge. I mean, um, we're lucky that Carlton Morris didn't get a serious injury. He's still playing through pain, bless him, and fantastic for that. But his leg could have been completely finished for the for a long time if that tackle had happened maybe milliseconds earlier before he lifted his leg. Yeah, yeah, quite right because it was it was virtually knee high, and it wasn't just the fact that he went over the ball like that. He swiped him with his other leg, and then. The triple threat, he's, he's tried to jump out of the way and fall on his shoulder. It's an absolutely awful decision. <clears throat> but there's four officials at a match. And why none of them can ever spot that. It, it almost seems like they're told to shut up or not help out or something like that. They're not there just to spot offsides or not spot them in the case of the middle game. Is that, is that it? They're there to... If they want to be called the referee's assistant and not the lino, as the official title goes, they need to assist the referee. And if the lino cannot see that that is a terrible challenge, then there's another lino. Why isn't he saying it? Or that sometimes they wouldn't as well. Sean Massey's one of the best ones, I think. Um, and then if not, there's a fourth official. They've got They've got intercoms. They can speak to each other. They can go over and have a little converse about it it's not good enough it's not good enough at all that you can say i don't know i didn't see it or, or it, it's poor and it's not just that decision though it's it's a whole season and more actually but seems we're on let's just keep it to this season it's a litany of terrible terrible decisions some of them minor some of them big like that and a, a whole range of them in between that just make you think what are they what are they looking at are they not up to it speed wise because the game speed if so why are they there what are they being taught to look for i think there i think there's also a case to say they're hamstrung by some of the rules that aren't clear uh, and they keep getting changed the offside rule is 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 a major one obviously but that aside, once something bad has happened and they've missed it, then there needs to be um, there needs to be punishments. Take the take the um, uh, game that Jeremy Simpson refereed, and then oh, he yeah, sends yep, and then he sends off Tom Lockyer for protesting legitimately against. Uh, yeah, some sometimes you give them, sometimes you don't. You should be allowed to pro, uh, have your say. He's the captain. You know, at the very least, if you want to go down the rugby route, only the captain can say it. Fine. But somebody's got But You can't just be the uh, decisions made and nothing happens. Um, they're players. It's an emotive game. Something's come like that. Now, in that game, he sent off Tom Lockyer for dissent twice. Fair enough. We've done what Tom said. You know, he's a passionate man and that could have been the right decision. But to be then... Um, retrospectively be slapped with a charge which has now been upheld and looting of 10 grand down for players surrounding a match official now there's video evidence that you can go and have a look there's nothing in that that warrants 10,000 pounds I've seen players go up to the referee the whole loads of them in the Premier League pushing, jostling, they weren't like that it was relatively calm, people were frustrated that's how it goes because was it a penny? I don't know. It, it, I, I've seen them given. I haven't. 
Now, if if that was if their actions were that bad enough in that game, then he should have been dishing out cards like it was Christmas. But he didn't. He only sent Tom Lockyer off. So what is that about? That's poor. And then uh, in, in in the following game as well, I think he was even worse. <laughs> Jeff Jeff Eldringham. Yeah, the following home game, obviously. The yeah, the following home game. game. Yeah, the following game was in between, wasn't it? Yeah, I I think he was even worse. And, um, you know, because you're getting slapped with a, a charge for that, you're sort of wondering every time, are you, is there one coming after this happens? Because it was 20 minutes before the crowd realised that he was a terrible referee and they were on him. Now, there's an FA respect campaign Part of that is respect the referee, and that's absolutely right. Don't abuse people. That, as in football, as in life, you shouldn't abuse people. But you are well within your rights, I believe, to point out if they're doing something wrong. So don't abuse, don't be abusive. But booing, fine. I'm I'm happy with that. And and telling them they don't know what they're doing, I think fine. That's what that that's fine. But you seem to take that. And they all seem to do that and just seem to double down on it in, in the way that he handles the game. And I, and I don't think it's good enough. Um, they've obviously missed the, they've missed the um, second goal. Again, there's no communication between him and his uh, assistants. They missed a penalty in the first half prior to that on Jordan Clark. I'd say there was two. There was a handball as well earlier before that. Um, the, 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 you know, the handball, you could argue, <clears> if you're of a Millwall persuasion, that there's a foul that leads to the handball. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But you, you're right, he definitely handles it. He handles it more than what Gabe Offshow handled it anyway. That's Absolutely. Um, and it just riles people up. Not but even, all, even before all of those decisions, the Millwall first goal, as stupid as it was, and I'm in no way defending Ethan Horvath here, there is no defence for what happened there. <laughs> But they got a free kick on the touchline when the bloke is trying to shepherd Alfie Doughty halfway up the main stand, not the enclosure, the actual main stand. Mm. Doughty's gone past him, hasn't he? And he's trying to run around the side and he's completely taking yeah. him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he gets a free kick for it. I mean... Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's utterly bizarre. And, it, and it, then one long ball later and Horvath's chucking it in the back of our net, but he shouldn't even have had to. <laughs> it, it, yeah. The, the trouble is we're, we're also in a catch-22 because... That respect, FA respect campaign, obviously brought about, and in part, some of that is because they want to entice more people into refereeing, but more people are not going to go into refereeing if they're constantly booed and jeered. So the bad decisions lead to more boos. The more boos lead to not good enough referees joining the pool of referees that you've got, and it continues down in a downward spiral. So there's a bigger issue there. I don't know how you fix that one, I think, and you could probably do a whole podcast itself on that. But I, I think there's got to be some form, and I spoke about this in relation to the white paper um, part of the podcast. Uh, uh, football's got to be a meritocracy. You've got to be rewarded for success, and unfortunately, um, you've, you've got to be not punished is not the right word. You've just got to, if, if you don't do well, then then that'll affect you. I mean, well, I, you're relegated if you don't get results as a football club, and that's it. I think there needs to be. In the refereeing world, there needs to be a system of promotion and relegation. I think it has to be, and then it has to be assessed. And ultimately, you're going to get better. <laughs> Presumably, you get better 
if you want to progress and go up the leagues and then you'll get more money, I suppose, like as football clubs do. The only way to improve yourself if you're like Luton were in league in the conference or in league two is to get promoted, get in the net league, um, hopefully get more money, get promoted again and keep getting promoted until you get to where you want to be. And then you'll be in the top division. And then you'll be like England's representative at the World Cups and stuff like that, or in Europe and stuff. And you'll get rewarded for being a good referee. And at the moment, I'm not seeing that. Um, and you're certainly not seeing it in the way that if you've made such a terrible decision as as the one at Birmingham for Carlton Morris, that he gets to just referee in the next game. Where's the where's the incentive or the uh, the incentive to get better? There isn't one, and it's it's it's. Gonna like you say with that particular incident, there's going to be one day, and it might not be with Luton, it could be with another club, another player, but their their ineptitude is going to cost a player or going to cost a club, and it's not good enough. It, and it is, and the reason why I've particularly focused on this Carlton Morris incident is he gave, he gave the yellow card that mm. day. If he'd given nothing, then fair enough, we can just assume that he hasn't seen it, and that's unfortunate. He should see it, but he hasn't, and that's. You know, they're, they're human beings. But he gave a yellow card, which suggests to the outside world, because there's obviously no communication and no comeback publicly. Well, that's that another thing it. that needs to change as well, I think. It is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I would have that in the white paper or whoever, whatever's going to change football tomorrow, I would have that. Rugby has it, cricket has it, football could definitely have it. Again, that's for another podcast. Um, but Dan, yeah, is, is the answer VAR uh, in the championship? Um, Rob Edwards was asked about it last night. Right. I won't land him in a whole heap of trouble with his answer because he was honest enough to give the answer that he gave. But ultimately, he said he was 50-50 uh, about yeah. the AR, probably leaning more towards yes. Uh, certainly, yeah. in the big, certainly in the big championship games. It's the answer VAR in the championship. I mean, I have to agree with uh, Mr Edwards there because there's there's good arguments for it and against it the, the the biggest argument against it is that the premier league are getting it massively wrong at the moment um because they keep chopping and changing with the rules they keep putting people in that can't seem to tell the difference between a foul and a not foul a handball and a not handball and an interpretation of an offside and first phase of play second phase of play you know it should uh type like fingernail offside and stuff um it it I think before VR should have come in anyway, it should have been fine-tuned and there should have been clear procedural, um, well, a clear procedure to come out. Like, it seems that when it came out last year in the Premier League, they'd say, they'd tell them, when it first came out, they'd just tell them that, I think you might have got this wrong. You don't give the penalty, for example, and then they just turn it away. Then they got went down the route of making the referee go over and now it's sort of, well, you might you might want to go over, you might not. It's your decision, but you might want to go over and the referees, no, 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 yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely a penalty. And then you see afterwards it's not a penalty. And it, it's, there's no real clarification. I, th- I think the biggest problem with it is that it does take too long if a referee then has to go to the sideline to review the footage and have a look at it. Um I mean, maybe they could strap a little iPhone to his arm and he can just press a button that replays the the incident on his arm and then he he can sort of see, well, okay, yeah, maybe that's a pen, etc. If they can get VAR right, and I'm I'm sure if every other sport in the world that's got it can get it right, then why not have it 
And if the Premier League's got it, why is it good enough for them but not the rest of us? You know, and, and the same for League One and League Two. And why should it cost millions of pounds to install a bit of cable and a device into a stadium? You know, you look at football stadiums, what they have now, how much it costs to to put all these computer systems in so that you can have the press there and so you can have um, TVs in executive boxes and everything else. You know, just stick a camera in there that clarifies whether it's a fucking foul or not. <laughs> yeah. why, is it, why, why is it costing millions? It's absolute nonsense. Yeah, no, I agree. And so, if it does, get it in. Yep, and if it does get come in. to... Um, the lower leagues, then um, the, the leash has got to pay for it. And that's what it is. If it's not going to provide referees suitable for the job, then it's going to have to provide the money for cameras to do the job for them. Tony, the, for so long, I mean, refereeing decisions have been bad for years and years and years and years. They're generally swept under the carpet with the old, they even themselves out over the course of the season. That is the biggest load of bollocks ever. But that's actually been proved. That's been proved rubbish, actually, in a university of past study, 2017. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I haven't got enough time on my hands to do a university degree on this, but I can tell with my own eyes that that's nonsense. And if it were to even level itself out, we must be due about two million decisions over these last (laughs) 11 games. Really, though, you're asking the referee to to get the big decisions right, aren't you? He's not going to get every decision right as a human being. I don't get everything right that I do in a day. I don't expect anyone else to. But he is paid to get the big decisions right. And I would wager the percentage of big decisions that have been right in the six games in particular that we've spoken about in this podcast, 30% if that, mm. that's not a good success rate. Well, there's definitely something wrong, Kev, when you find yourself thinking, well, maybe Trevor Kettle wasn't so bad after all. I mean, these clowns uh, that we've, these we've had recently make him look like Pierre Luigi Colina, don't they? I mean, but I, I, yeah, I know. But I tell you what, Kev, just sort of, I can start with a what the fuck was a referee from Lancashire refereeing our game against Burnley? Yeah, Lancashire I mean, club. I mean, right? I'm amazed. Okay, I'm amazed that point. bloke's still a referee anyway. Yeah. It's well known now, he was the referee of the York playoff final twelve years ago. Yeah. And he was shite then. He hasn't improved, nor of his linesmen. And you're no, you are now, absolutely right. Yeah. Now there, there, there's a number of things. Yeah, people are only human; they make mistakes. But you know, I've, I've watched football. I've watched Luton for a lot longer than you guys have. You know, and it, it does seem to me that the the standard is progressively getting worse. It's deteriorating. You know. I, I can think back to some really great referees who bring you know, Roger Kirkpatrick for one, fantastic referee who yeah. had respect and everything. But these days, now let's get this straight. The referee is the main man, okay, on a match day. He's in charge. And a lot of them give instructions to their assistant and the fourth official. Because I, I know it. I've done a referee course, I've refereed games myself. And you're told on that course, you're in charge, you make the decisions, you make the call. And a lot of referees will say to their assistants, I only want you to indicate the ball in and out of play or when the player's in an offside position. I will make all the other decisions. They tell them that, right? It doesn't matter if they're mic'd up or anything like that. Let's make the decisions, right? Second, another point is what I don't like is managers and players can't criticise referees because they're charged with bringing the game into disrepute. 
And I, 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 there's a number of reasons why that gets my go. One is freedom of speech. Two, it's your bloody officials that generally cause it in the first place that bring the game into disrepute in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it, yeah. I, I, I just. It's because I think a lot of them, they, they, they think I'm oh, God, you know, like you're here to watch me, not the footballers, you know. And it, it really does get my goat because I think referees should be made to answer for their decisions. You know, maybe they're interviewed up. Why did you give that decision? Just to explain it. Perhaps if there was more communication with supporters, you know, and explain. And, and even a referee to turn around and say, seeing a clip of it, I really, I'm sorry I got that wrong. I made a mistake. Supporters would accept it. So I, I think there's a lot could be done. There's a, there's a lot could be done with PR. You know, um, you're right exactly exactly what you said. The referee either saw an offence or he didn't see an offence with that one on Carlton Morris. So he must have seen something because he gave a yellow card. Now, that sort of tackle, like you said, that could have, finished Carton Morris's career. It was a two-footed tackle and it was over the ball, the studs up. Bang. End of story, no comeback. And we see this happening all too soon. And, you know, when you see Black, you can tell from players' reactions whether it's a legitimate shout or not. You know, if they, they might make a half-hearted attempt, but when players get really upset and run into the referee so then you actually hang on a minute there must be something in that now if I was in their position and we had VAR and I saw players reacting like that I think well hang on a minute I will check the VAR yeah you know, it, it, it just look at people's reactions and everything else and what's not helping either and the players are, are, are just as much at fault is all the play acting and the simulation doesn't help either you know and it does annoy it does annoy me, like, you know, these players, you know, when, when we get a throw-in, referee sees it, you will take it from where it went out. Well, like Swansea, they're going forward 10 yards, taking 10 yards. And I know we're just as bad at it. But they don't pick them up for the same offence. Or you see the other time, they're committing niggly, niggly fouls. And in the first time a Luton player does it, they get booked straight away. Yep. Now, it, it's the, it can be the same for the other side. I, I understand that. We're doing niggly foul, and the first time they do it, they get booked. That's not right. That isn't right, you know? I, I, I honestly don't know the answer to it, really. I, I, I don't know. It could be more communication. I think that's um, the key, isn't it? I yeah, think- more communication. To, and as you say, the promo- I, I think there is a promotion system, you know? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> But it's not transparent, then, is it? It needs to be. That's the thing, isn't it? None of it. It's all every game. Every game, there's an assessor. Okay. Now, what you'd like to see is why don't they make the assessor's reports public? Now, I'll give you a classic example, and and this Mm. was a a a Sunday league game where I was where I was um, managing the team. Right, we were winning two one, and in the last couple of seconds. Referee gave a penalty against it. And there's no way in the world was it a, a, a penalty. We drew 2-2, right? Now, the referee assessor was there. He came and assessed the game. And I came up behind. Two of them were talking. And they didn't realise I was behind them. 
And I came up, I, and I came up to them, and I heard the assessor that was never a penalty. You shouldn't have given a penalty. Da 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 da. And I came up behind them, and I went, "All right, gentlemen." And I, I, I knew the, the assessor, and I turned around to him and I said, "Wasn't a penalty, was it?" And he straight away turned around. And said, oh, yes, it was. I agree with his decision and everything. And I thought you passed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there needs you know, to they, be. They all, there needs to be transparency. There needs to be better communication. There need, I mean, if referees want to help themselves or the people above the referees want to help the referees, just mic them up. If you're going to book Tom Lockyer for dissent or whatever, he, and then send him off straight after, let us hear what he's done. Mm. You know? Yeah, like, stop don't, it. Don't, don't, stop hide, it. don't hide behind the foul language bit because I sit on the terrace and the bloody language on the terraces are an absolute shambles. And if you take your child to football, you have to appreciate that he is going to hear language that is of an industrial nature. However, he should hear that or he shouldn't hear that. He's going to hear that. Mike them up. Mike these referees up. Let's hear why they're making these decisions. Let's well, hear the, what he saw. There was a little while ago, Clattenburg, right? Mark Clattenburg came out and said that um, the referees' meetings as well, they're given instructions. We expect to see so many free kicks, so many corners, whatever. And he also said that they were advised to go harder against certain teams and not give them an easy ride and everything. And surprise, surprise, no no prizes for guessing which teams were instructed to get an easier ride. Yeah, and, and all of this it just transpires into a whole pot of, you know, just not helping referees. They can help themselves, absolutely, mm-hmm. they can. They can get help from those above them. They can get help from the authorities. Just simple communication lines would make life a whole lot better. Just to show that we're not all in piling in on referees. James mentioned earlier that Dean Whitestone had a really good game against Swansea on Saturday. He did overturn one of those Swansea throw-ins that were marching down the line. Yeah. Didn't he? he had enough of it and he gave it gave it to us. And their bloke looked an absolute twat for it. And then he deflected the cross later on in the half uh, that we ended up scoring from. So he had a bit of a bad day all round that bloke. And... Um, I've got, um, I think there's pro- I think there's one more thing that you could probably throw into the mix of how things could improve because Go for it, yep. you know referees are full time now, aren't they? Um, there was a recent piece in the Metro newspaper that said the um, salaries of Premier League referees are between thirty eight and a half and forty two grand a year, which is you know above the average wage in the country. But I think if you want to attract people uh, into that job to do that job and get good quality candidates then I think you're going to have to pay them more and you know I think it it, it extends to all you know, sort of positions of importance I think if you sort of compare it to um, I know it's a stretch for some people but if you look at the world of politics but you know uh, I know people won't say you can't pay MPs anymore they get 80 grand a year which is a very good wage but they're in charge of some very big decisions and um you know if you look at the american system they get paid a a, a lot more i think in, in england if you're only going to pay people 80 grand then you're not going to get the people who potentially could be like ceos and very capable of making much better decisions than the one we've got so if you pay people not enough for the important decision-making job that they do then in the world of politics you're just going to get stuck with very rich already very rich ideologues uh, put in place that aren't going to benefit the people that they are dealing with so i think there's a case to say 
and it comes back to this uh, the finances of football there's enough money in the game that you should pay uh, referees more um, not for bad decisions obviously I'm talking if you add into the fact that people referees should be rewarded for good decisions and good matches and uh, good form and, and that sort of thing then I think there's a much a much stronger case to say that once you get to those higher levels, then you should be getting paid more than that. You absolutely should. You, you, you're spot on. Um, but even then, you know, these are full-time professionals and they're not doing a full-time professional's job. Um, I noticed that both Mr. Eltringham and Mr. Webb are both refereeing again this weekend. Thankfully, they're not refereeing Luton at Sheffield United. Um, but, you know, I wish the players well and I hope that they avoid... Serious injury in those games. Just as an aside, just one referee I will pick up uh, who I've watched a lot of in the lower leagues. Uh, female referee, actually, Rebecca Welch. Uh, very, very good referee. Why she doesn't get more championship games, I've no idea. But um, definitely there is there are good referees that just need more promotion. And we seem to get the rough end of them, unfortunately. But there we go. Hopefully referee improves over the next week or so. Uh, because one of the players we want referees to protect, James, is Jordan Clark. And thankfully, he's going to be wearing an orange shirt for an awful lot longer. After it was announced on Tuesday that he signed a long-term deal, we don't we don't know exactly how long that long-term deal is, but it suggests that it's of a two- or three-year nature. And um, that's fantastic news, isn't it? It certainly is. <laughs> 29 years old, he's at his peak, and so you're going to get him for his uh, remaining peak years, uh, presumably, you know, signed him for nothing, turned him from a winger to one of the best midfielders in the championship. You know, Rob Edwards said yesterday when the deal was announced that he could play for any club and I make him right, he's he's been he's been my player of the season this season. He's been absolutely... Whoa, hold fire on that. That's the next month of podcast, <laughs> that is. Uh, well, you know, I'm getting in early with my vote because um, there's, a, there's plenty of people that could um, sort of challenge him. But for me... He's been so consistent, so influential. Uh, he takes his abilities from being a winger and trying to beat people and he can do that. We've got an eye for a pass. I think the only thing probably you want to add in more, and, and Edwards also mentioned this yesterday and when the deal was announced, is that he wants him to try and score more. Um, <clears throat> you know, hopefully, uh, if people would go back and listen to part one of this podcast and listen to the, the Camber focus we had, then, then his influence there gives... Uh, Penny and Jordan Clark more of a license to to do that, but um, what 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 a player he's been, um, and you know he's a real honest guy as well. And I think he's you know part part of that deal, although it wasn't said in any statement. I would imagine is that he's recognised what Luton have done for him as well. Um, you know, in saying that he loves it here, um, but you know where he's where he's come from. Um, to where he is now is uh, a testament to his own uh, abilities, which were there if people wanted to look when he was at Accrington. I remember that at one stage he was his stats for assists and, and a few other things actually were right up there with the top players in Europe when he was playing at Accrington. So why nobody spotted it there, but fair play again. Uh, to Luton's recruitment team for for doing that and bringing him because he's been uh, an, an incredible player this season. Yeah, we kind of jested last season, didn't we, when Nathan Jones came out with that best free transfer of all timeline in the same sort of 
period that uh, Lionel Messi had just gone on a free transfer to PSG. But actually, I'm coming round to the line of thinking that he actually was the best free transfer of all time, yeah. regardless of Lionel yeah. Messi going to PSG or anything else. He's certainly uh, well worthy of the debate uh, if you just say it about Luton. Is he the best free sign in Luton ever made? Yeah. yeah, I'm not altogether sure there's a debate, uh, or if there is, he's rapidly climbing the ladder uh, at a rate of knots. I mean, the bloke, he, I mean, the biggest thing for me for Clicker is, is his humbleness. Mm. Uh, I just love the way that he, you know, he's just that down to earth guy who'll get on, he'll do his job, he'll give you a nine out of 10 every single week. And yes, there's still parts of his game that he can improve on, but that's why he plays for Luton Town and not Paris Saint Germain alongside Lionel Messi, isn't it? It's. Um, it's from that, but it's an incredible rise, Dan, from a player who has already given us great service. It's fantastic that he's going to give us service beyond the end of this season. And hopefully it's the catalyst for an awful lot more big players who are out of contract this summer to sign up and enjoy the journey. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and if you're looking at, if you're a footballer around the, in and around the championship, whether you're up and coming from the lower leagues or... Um, you look perhaps looking for a club like Nakamba was in terms of maybe perhaps dropping down a level. You, you look at football clubs in and around that um, would suit <clears throat> your ambitions, and I can't think of many more clubs than us really. Uh, and this is being realistic. I'll take Luton Town for half. There you go. I've done that on camera. Um, there's not many more clubs than Luton that don't have a bit more of appeal than say an ex Premier League side. Um, or a recent ex Premier League side, because and and people like Jordan Clark give you that give you that impression. Because I mean, uh, yeah, right, he's been down the lower levels all of his career. Um, he's sort of gone under the radar, if you like, and uh, must have advantage. Shackleton willing to let him go, and we've benefited from that. But there's there's so much. I mean, you, you look at the togetherness of the players. You know, the togetherness of the players and the manager. Um, what footballer wouldn't want to be a part of that? And although, you know, we, we touched on it much earlier with the likes of Alan Campbell and Luke Berry not necessarily getting many games. Gabe Osher's had to bide his time. But you see those guys come in and they're just as hungry to come in and, and make a difference. And that's, that's what you ask for of your players, don't you? And, and if, if you're going to join this football club, you've, you've got to do it. You've got to be like that. And I think with other players in the squad that may be looking towards... I don't know, perhaps, because let's face it, they all know that they could go to another championship side and earn three times the money, four times the money, whatever. And anybody that wants to do that, fine. See you later. Do it. But why would you not want to stay? If you know you're in the manager's plans, why would you not want to stay? Because what better position are you going to be in? I mean, do you want to be like, I mean, I'm not going to pick on, play specifically just an example do you want to be like Harry Cornick who's having to play 20 minutes off the bench here and there um, do you want to be like James Bray who, who don't blame him making the jump you know you, you want to test yourself but he's he's not getting a look in at all now um, ask them players if they wish to stay put Harry might say not really perhaps Bray, Bray will probably say yeah perhaps I shouldn't have gone um, but you, you, you want You'd want to stay. Surely you'd want to stay and go carry on the journey. I mean, Pelly's a great example. He's been there from the, the, when the project really really got going, when, when we got promoted. And I think players with his personality are a big catalyst to why players come in and stay as long as people like Jordan Clark have and 
uh, you know, other, other people in the squad. So I, I think I think most of the players that are offered a deal will sign one. I can't see too many willingly wanting to go unless they're, they're getting off the money, and you can't you can't blame them for that either. Yeah, well, that's the oh, that's the danger with a few of them. I mean, Tony, there's two things on this for me. One, Jordan Clark signed whilst we're still a championship club. Hopefully, we're only a championship club for another two months, but there is no guarantee of that we could be a championship club again next season. So it's important that he signed as a championship player for a championship club. And maybe more importantly than what he's going to offer us on the pitch, were those words, I love it here, I love these boys. This, you know, it's them, them kind of words, maybe those that are sort of 50-50 about leaving and seeing if the grass is greener or elsewhere, maybe those kind of words will resonate with them and just think, well, actually, if he's prepared to stay, maybe I might be as well. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. Um, it was great news that he, he'd extended his deal with Luton. Um, and that's what you need. You, you, you need that positive attitude, that, that enthusiasm to want to stay at the club because, you know, not only did he enjoy it, he, 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 he fully appreciates what the club have done for him and the fact that it's an ongoing thing and that the, the club has improved season on season so um yeah more power to him and uh, i think with what's happened this week i think he's gone even further up in, in people's estimation he's a little powerhouse in midfield and uh, we definitely you know don't look quite the same size when he's not playing and and it's fantastic and i think that will rub off on other players and uh I think because we're a top half championship side now and, and we look like we've got that potential to go that, that bit further and take the next step, um, I think that will help to influence other players who might be thinking of going. I mean, you know, if a club comes in offering stupid money in, in terms of a transfer fee or or the wages that they can pay, yeah, you, you, Chances are people people will go because you, and you can't as we said you can't blame the players for that because it's a chance to secure your family's future because you know they're they're not going to earn the same amount of money when they finish playing you know you, well that, that's what all the players say you know if they if they take that step into coaching or management even at the top level in the Premier League they don't make the same amount of money that they can do when they're playing. So you can't blame them for that. But it, it, it is fantastic. It's a real lift for supporters that somebody like Clicker is staying at the club. Yeah, the only way he could bet himself, really, is if he'd said, I've stayed to play for the best manager in the championship. And, uh, <laughs> you know, well, he'd have been, well, he he'd not that, only been telling that, the truth, but, you know. That, that's taken as red, Kev, isn't it? Well, it is, actually, to be fair. Yeah, we all know we've got... Super Robbie Edwards, as he was reminded uh, last night. Uh, one of the games then, James, coming up that um, Jordan Clark's going to be involved in, or at least we hope he's going to he's going to be involved in. Sheffield United away on Saturday. It starts a really big week, actually, a, a huge week. It is maybe the top two has um, has kind of flown now with Sheffield United's result last night. They're ten points ahead of us, but we could get to within seven with a win. And um, I don't. I. I, I pretty sure I said it in the last podcast I don't think Sheffield United get automatic promotion I still don't think that I don't think they're much of a side can we go there and win yeah of course because uh, they should have won when when the Blades came down to Kenworth Road Luton were the better side as far as I'm concerned um, and they 
they are showing a tendency to not really want to grab this emotion automatic promotion spot by the horns, really, and they uh, are up and down with their results. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, they are yeah, pretty good at home, to be fair. They've uh, only lost the three games, so um, but Luton are uh, second best away, second best team in the league form wise. You know, since the, and also since the, the return from the World Cup, they're right up there as well, Luton. So, um, I think it's it's one of those games where it could it could could work for Luton. Could could be okay. So, yeah, I've, I don't see why not. I, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be unhappy with a, a draw. I don't think, like you say, I think even despite their form, I. I, I think at this stage the points gap is probably a bit too much to uh, go automatic for Luton. But you win up there, who knows? Well, I think that's it, isn't it? We'd have to win up there. I yeah. think if you come out of it ten points behind with ten to go, you're yeah. kind of getting into snooker's required stage, then aren't you? Uh, absolutely, I think yeah, you've, you've got to win to give yourself a chance of that. But I think everybody is, you know, fairly settled in the. We, we're aiming for a playoff place uh, at this stage. Anything more, obviously, is a bonus, and you've got to go up there and try and earn that yourself. And so, I think there's uh, every opportunity that that can happen. Uh, Luton, as we've said earlier in this podcast, uh, they don't they don't give too much away. So y- y- you could easily see a nice little one 0 win up there. You absolutely could. Yeah, uh, I didn't follow that game too much. Last night I was live tweeting the Rob Edwards um, meet the manager night, but I did see a few comments on Twitter that their match winner of the night, uh, Illaman in Jai, went off injured. So if that injury keeps him out of Saturday, then um, that's no bad thing. So we'll take that. One home game to come in the next week, Dan. Uh, two returning um, people and, of course, the coronation of the red carpet with the greatest manager since sliced bread coming to Kenilworth Road as well. Uh, that's Bristol City. Um, I hope Harry Cornick doesn't uh, search for his name on Twitter because if you search for Harry Cornick's name after their game last night, well, it didn't make pleasant reading. So he hasn't hit the ground running there, which obviously sets him up to score here. But we hope that that's not the case. He'll get a good reception. He deserves a good reception. Uh, I hope Carol Naismith gets a good reception. We don't blame either of them for leaving for their financial reasons and for their family. And it hasn't worked out for them because we're flying and they're not. Um, but more importantly, we stunk the gaff out down there. Can we unstink it out at our place and pick up three points, which actually looks probably more likely given their last two or three results than, than maybe if we'd done this podcast this time last week? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I think there's always a chance that without home advantage, I always back us to win a game because, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're top of the league or in the, in the bottom or somewhere in the middle. You know, when when we're on decent form, which we are, you know, it's, it's fairly steady this past month, as we said earlier, um, when we were reviewing the last few fixtures. Um, hopefully we get a positive res- result. I think James is right about expecting, some, like, being happy with the draw. I think that, you know, perhaps maybe nick it, that'll be great, but I, I think that'll be a draw anyway. Um, you know, you come off the back of that, off the back of like the steady run of results we've had. I've, we know a little bit about some of their players, uh, obviously, we, we saw two of one wearing a sh- uh, township this year, and obviously Naismith last year. And Nigel Pearson, can I just say what a job he's done? He's he's managed to turn Cal Naismith into one of the best centre halves 
in the league to being bang average and fucking liability. So well done. And he shouldn't have too much trouble doing that with Cornick either, because <laughs> he's about average, I'd say. Uh, and on Cornick, I think you know, with he's he's replaced their top scorer, and I think they you know given him the number nine shirt, they're probably expecting a bit too much off of him. Um, you know, if a Bristol City fan had asked me on deadline day, what should they expect out of him? You, you get lots of running, lots of effort. Um, if you're going to get him to hit a cow's ass with a band with a barn door, a barn door with a cow's ass, make sure you got <laughs> make sure both of them are fucking massive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he'll, he he'll, he'll, he'll keep trying. <laughs> to be fair to um, the cow. There's no need for the cow to hit the barn door. The barn door and <laughs> the cow. Well, I think the, the, the cow's trying to get out of the way of the shot. Because it could just go anywhere, couldn't it? Um, but I, nothing impresses me about Bristol City whatsoever. Um, nothing at all. I don't think they're any more special than any other side in the league. I don't think that they're, they're, they're great. I might be underestimating them a bit here, but I, I back us to get a two-one win there. Definitely. That'll do me. That was what it was last year, wasn't it? I think Tom Lockyer scored, if memory serves. Might well have yeah, I'd miss it, but I remember it. Yes, yeah, I'm pretty sure he scored the winner and then gave one of the best press conferences uh, that um, James has ever sat in. I'm pretty sure that was Bristol City. Correct me uh, if I'm wrong. Uh, one thing I will say before I come on to you for the Sunderland game, Tony, these Wednesday night games, get them in the bin. Tuesday nights mm. midweek, please, not yeah. Wednesdays. Throws my week ball. I'm, in, I'm a simple man anyway and that, that just confuses the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> but once we've done Bristol City, Tony, we have a long trip to the Stadium of Light uh, next Saturday before an international break uh, that looked a really really tough game when um, when we were looking at this podcast to say if we'd done it last week but if Stoke can go there and win 5-1 I ask you what we can go there and do yeah but unfortunately it doesn't work like that does it <laughs> um, I, I couldn't believe it I, when I saw that score I thought did, did somebody put something in the Sunderland players drinks at half time or something I, I, I just wondered what the hell was going on uh, they're funny sides Sunderland don't they? they 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 struggle for form at the start of the season they come into form and then they just seem to have blown up but I, I have a horrible feeling that this could come back and bite us I think because um, they'll want a re- reaction in front of their own supporters um, so I think we could be under the cosh a bit in that game but um, there's nothing to stop us nicking a, a one 0 win. I mean, we've we've said it before earlier tonight that we're good defensively, we're difficult to break down, and uh, you know we've got a very good track record away from home. So, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if we did pull out a cheeky one 0 there. Although I'd, I'd settle for a draw. Yeah, I think the uh, most recent time that we went to Sunderland was Mick's first game in charge after Nathan had done the um, done the dirty on us the first time around, wasn't it? And the mm. atmosphere in the away in that day was absolutely superb. We got a one-one draw. Uh, either Collins or Hilton scored a penalty. I can never remember which one scored that. Day. It was Hilton. It was Hilton. Hilton scored a penalty that day, and uh, yeah, I think you know if you come away from these two away games without defeat and you beat Bristol City then that takes your total on to 14 then from the last nine and then all of a sudden you're getting into a really good sort of patch mm. uh, ahead of um, a certain game next month, which we will be back to preview in our next podcast. But before we do that, we've spoken a bit about accounts on this podcast already uh, and Luton released theirs on Tuesday. We won't go into too much detail in terms of 
the ins and outs of them. I can stress the trust have seen these accounts. They uh, We are required to see these accounts as shareholders of the club and our treasurer has seen them and approved them and he's all okay with them. So whatever um, you do or don't make of them or you can and can't make of them, we've got uh, uh, someone who's actually um, knowledge in that sort of market who uh, who has approved them. So he's all fine with them. I guess the key thing, James, is um, there's a loss there. Not necessarily to be worried about, though, because these accounts are the accounts from the first season back from COVID. So there would have been a sort of delayed kind of reaction sort of thing. It's not a full year of things. You know, it's it's just getting back up after COVID and, and the markets were slow and everything else. So they're probably not as bad as the bear numbers would suggest. No, I don't think so. Um, and certainly not in comparison to all the other uh, well, the, championship yeah, clubs that have already posted their their losses, which are sort of eight-figure losses, really, really startling stuff. Um, <clears throat> QPR and Stoke in particular, I think. Um, yeah, and it always bugs me that the, that the financial year is not the actual year because it's always lagging behind, doesn't it? And it's very confusing to somebody like me that's virtually numerically illiterate. Well, particularly <laughs> when there's a pandemic involved as well. Yeah, but I mean, when the pandemic was yeah. happening and the games were off for that um, that period before the, the nine-game Great Escape uh, spell, uh, we had a number of conversations with Gary Sweet uh, in the media and... Um, I've been trying to find the actual quote. I might, I might not have wrote it down, but um, I mean, these were all, you'd probably be better find them on the, the, the club website if you've got the time, but I'm pretty sure he, he, he said that the, the, there'd probably be a loss coming out the back of it because of the, the, the delay in filing accounts from this ridiculous system of having a financial year. Not his words. <laughs> not putting his words in Gary's mouth, but I'd take that. I, I take that from that. I was kind of expecting it, um, but yeah, it's not a it's not a massive loss. But it is obviously a loss. But then, if you factor in the lovely bit of cash that Nathan Jones has uh, afforded Luton this season, um, and uh, Onyx Onyx uh, uh, disappearance down to Bristol, which I've just learned uh, that he was quite happy because his uh, girlfriend's from Bristol, so that might have been a factor in that one, uh, which we didn't discuss when he left. Um, uh, so yeah, you'd want it to be, uh, you know, in the black, obviously. But I think when those when we're when we're at this point next year, and you see the the, the finances from that, I think that they'll probably even out. And I get people's concern thinking that this might affect power court but i think it's important to stress that power the 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 way they're managing power court is a completely different company they've set up to arrange that and while we haven't got the or i haven't seen any accounts from that i don't know if if you go in the trust has they've they've sold newlands park on that and they've just announced that the detailed plans are complete so i think and the substation is getting moved as well so i think you'll start to see things happening there um and and the two things are not related uh at all so and also the i think the obviously important thing with where it comes with the accounts is the the clubs run by fans the investors are fans and they've said that they're still going to carry on their commitment which is 
you know, you would have expected that. But to see it written is, uh, I think it's important. Yeah, Tony, I think with this one, the important thing is maybe judge next year's accounts rather than this year's accounts because it was pretty obvious managing a pandemic was um, very, very difficult for all clubs. And actually, we did a brilliant job. We did a better job than most in that pandemic. Uh, so, I, you know, we're, we're pretty much of the opinion that there's nothing to worry about as bad as the numbers might sound to the layman or the average man. Not on there, but the, the real thing to take out of it is what James just touched on there, that the club are committed to power court and the detailed plans are now, they've now been put together and the deal for the substation and the planning application for the substation to be moved alongside the railway, which was a key stumbling block in this power court thing, that's been sorted. So there's two huge things there for those that are waiting for news on power court that, okay, it's not officially come through the club, has directly come through the club, albeit through their accounts. Mm, that's right. Um, and we we know because we're, we're lucky enough in the trust to, you know, to be a little bit ahead of the game and know what's going on purely as we shareholders in the club. And all the way through, we, we knew there was nothing to worry about, that uh, they were pretty positive and they, they were going to go ahead. But I can understand it from... Um, supporters' viewpoints, you know, you can get impatient and people say, what's going on? Why haven't they started in? There, and there has been reasons for it. And I've touched on the, the the power station. That's had to be moved. And there was a little bit of um, argy-bargy between uh, <coughs> UK Power Networks and uh, Rail Track. Um, but that's been, that's been sorted. There, there's still a bit of uh, work going on. And, and I know... The cost of moving that power station was estimated at two million, and uh, it, it the club twenty twenty had to pay that money to do that. Um, <clears throat> so that that's the uh, But if if you've been down there, you 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 can see there's work going on down there. You know, um, there's been buildings knocked down. The the, the land has been uh, flattened. All ready to go, but there's other things they've had to decontaminate the land, and um, there's there's all sorts of things going on down there. But um, <clears throat> no, it's it, it's good. I mean, we know, you know, 2020, they they want our court uh, up and running, and and uh, the football club to be in there as soon as possible, because it's only then that they're going to start getting a a, a proper return on their money. And <clears throat> Luton can actually start to really progress to the next level because that's the, the whole thing behind it. But no, with the accounts, there's nothing to worry about there at all. I, I think when you see this year's accounts come out, I think you'll see it's in a, in a healthier position because as been touched on, you'll see the money that's coming from Nathan Jones, James Bree, Harry Cornick will all be added in. So, um, yeah, nothing to worry about at all. And you know as well as I do that um, if there'd been anything to worry about in those accounts, that Les would have been the first one to jump up and down and start hollering and, and shouting. So, you know, yeah, the, the, yeah I, I, supporters have said to me, you know, that, oh, you know, you know more than us and whatever. But, yeah, we, we do, but we're, we're bound by confidentiality. You know, we... we there's certain things that we can't say, but for commercial reasons. Um, 
but you, the way we act as a trust, we, we would always be the ones to turn around and say, hang on a minute, something's not right here. But we'd never had any reason to doubt them, any reason that's caused for concern. So, you know, it's ongoing. It will happen. It will happen. And when it does, Dan, <laughs> we won't need to really worry about these accounts because they're always going to come in uh, in profit. Unless, you know, some weird thing like another global pandemic happens and things like that. And, um, God forbid. And, you know, it, what these accounts do show, firstly, you know, I think only 10 championship clubs have submitted there so far. So that in itself tells you that the owners are running the ship right. The fact that they've got their accounts out there as early as they have done. And, and also, you know, it's just the way of the world. No one wants to make a loss. You just couldn't come through that COVID period without making one. It was it was literally impossible. If you're a supporter of your football club and you, you look at your club's accounts and you take interest in in these sort of things, you have to be open minded that COVID was a real freak year year and a bit, especially for football. It's a real untelling time for all of us, uncertain. And yeah, although although we all had our eye follow passes and. You know, we all we all bought most of us bought season tickets, knowing that we probably weren't going to see a game live. Um, I certainly didn't get to see one. Um, you know, the club is still making bits of money that way, but they were still losing off of um, like like buying food and drinks and stuff like that. And yeah, no hospitality, no hospitality. Like yeah, no no options for the executive boxes. I don't know what happened with the holders there. What what how much of a portion I wouldn't have expected they'd have to pay the full portion for those boxes as well um, it's none of my business but <clears throat> when you know when you think that um, the signings we bought in as well we did spend a little bit of money but not, not a huge amount bringing players in um, and it all had to be done really cleverly and I think you know 2020 needs to be applauded for okay yes it was a little bit of a loss but it could have been a hell of a lot worse you know if we'd gone out and spent perhaps bought Carlton Morris for two million that summer rather than doing it this summer. Um and so I think we've been quite pragmatic and you know it it, it shows that um they've been the you you have to run it as a as a business when you support the club and it's it's your whole life but you're running it as well. You have to make difficult decisions and as much as I'm sure we'd love to tell the manager, there you go, there's twenty million quid but we're spend on who you want uh, but by the way we're in an empty stadium so don't spend all of it because if you spend that and we don't progress uh, basically <laughs> we're fucked and we're 20 million out of pocket and we've got to sell a whole lot and start again and so you have to be cautious and I think Tony, uh, one of the guys earlier alluded to it um, that you know it doesn't show recent accounts I think I think um, any monies that we received for the likes of Bree and Jones and that will come in the year or year after's reports. So, and obviously taking into account the fee for Morris, so it, it will show that it, it kind of balances out, and that all the money. Again, I think Tony talked about it. All the money going in towards the power court developments are coming out of a different entity to the football club. Which, again, that that safeguards the future in itself. If you know, if people have got any doubt about uh, funding power court and that, don't don't doubt it. Because it's been it's been done the right way, and don't doubt the future of the football club. You know, it's not as if we were doing a Darlington and chucking a thirty thousand seat stadium out, getting two thousand people in it, running the club into the ground. Um, because 
2020 are genuine, genuinely Luton Town supporters, and that's that's all you can ask for them. And and, and uh, you know they, they're doing it the right way. Yes, it's dragging its heels, but I firmly believe when you've got things like this, big projects like this, and it it, it sort of defines your future as a football club. You have to get it right, or it's gone. Yeah, and, and, um, and that's the harsh reality. So. And they're getting it right whilst getting it right on the pitch as well. And uh, yeah. yeah, they're doing an absolutely fantastic job 2020. I mean, <clears> if you just want to put these counts into kind of um, some sort of consequence, the season that we're talking about, we had Man United at home and Chelsea away. The gate receipts from those two games, which we were unable to get because they were behind closed doors, basically wipe out half of the loss that we've made over the course of that season. That's where we're kind of coming from. That's what, That's the kind of damage that COVID did. But as James quite rightly pointed out, the important thing on those accounts is it's actually there in black and white that the investors will take up the slack and, uh, you know, the club's not going to be left in a hole because of it. Also, I suppose, um, Kev, if I may, (coughs) um, you know, these these accounts reflect that uh, the match day income has gone up by just shy of four million pound because you've had crowds in the ground but the whole point and this has been spoken about publicly as well that the whole point of power court is this, this is the path to long-term sustainability because the club have pretty much maxed out their major revenue strings from Kenworth throat there is no more they can get on on top of that really in a, it's probably a significant way i'm sure and <clears throat> give or take a few quid they could but that's the point of power court, isn't it? And 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 that is also reflected in in the accounts where it, it, it talks about that. So um, when you combine what Dan said there uh, about the safeguarding of the club by the two different entities, I think it's it, it's safe to say that you shouldn't be too worried. No, they're doing an absolutely fantastic job. Twenty twenty, they'll continue to do that. And as Tony quite rightly said. Work is going on down there. It might not necessarily be the most visible work to the average man, but it is going on. And eventually we will be in power court. Uh, one other place where we will be next month is at Venue 360 for the presentation evening, where we will find out who succeeds Cal Naismith as the player of the season. Uh, we're in the process of sorting out ticket details and voting details, and we'll announce all of those over the weekend. But Sunday, the 23rd of April is the date, uh, 7.30 start. There will be a priority period for members to get their tickets. It's always a good night. All the players are on hand. Management team will be on hand as well. They always post for photos. And if you're there, you'll get to see in person who succeeds Cal Naismith as our player of the season. And I'll get the boys to give me their player of the season next month when we meet after the Watford game. We will do a podcast before the Watford game. We'll do a proper preview of that game. It's a pretty big game. Might even be bigger by then. They might even have a different manager by then. Who knows? And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we'll be back for that. But keep that date in your diary. Sunday, April the 23rd. That is the 2023 presentation evening date. Always a great night. Always sells out. Tickets will go probably go even quicker this year, particularly with the ladies given our new manager, I would suspect. <laughs> Gents, thanks very much for your company this evening. Really appreciate all the time and all your thoughts and everything else. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure you listen to part one of the podcast where we go through the previous results uh, and cover marvellous uh, Nakamba and Gabe Boss Show's form. If you like the podcast, give us a like, a rating, a subscribe and everything else so that you will get notifications when we're back next time around. 
And until then, when we return in the international break ahead of that Watford game, thanks for listening. And uh, well, let's hope it's a massive week for the club. Uh, let's hope we can pick up three brilliant results. Thanks again and goodbye. Goodbye.